0: Thank you, Mike. It's great to have you here. Graduates, we're praying for you. And we hope that if you have a graduate in your life, that you uh, are lifting them up in prayer. And if you saw a name on that list as they passed in front of you and you know one, you, maybe you're connected to a family there. We have some people in our church that they have a habit of grabbing a hold of a graduate's name or family and praying for them over the next year. The transition they're about to engage in is a big deal. And it is usually fraught with all kinds of ups and downs and disappointments and joys. And so it would be really incredible if some of you would just latch on to one or two of them and just pray for them. I mean, if you know them well, you can even drop them a note. You can even let their family know you're praying for them. You don't have to do any of that. If you just want to lift them up in prayer and ask that God would walk with them and be with them through this season, it'd be really powerful. It'd be really, really good. So, We're in a new series that we kicked off last week at the park, and uh, this new series hopefully will give us some guidance as we make it through the summer. Before we get into that, though, we want to pass the baton a bit from uh, some people that have loved our students so well uh, to Mike. As you know, we've been praying for Mike and his arrival. Um, Back in 2017, our student ministry and family ministry went through a transition, and when that transition occurred, there was a couple in our church, your whole family really, that stepped up and decided to love our students and our students' families really, really well. And they've been doing so ever since. And so I'm going to ask the Tallies to come on up. Don and Chrissy Talley are in the room. And uh, they began investing their time. Yeah, you can platform. We're going to do it a couple times. Yep. You know, Don just hates the attention. He really does. You know how you know how awkward he can be on stage and all of that. He's got to go the long way, of course. Before we got started, Debbie made sure the ramp was cleared. And so over the last three or four years, the tallies have invested their time and energy. Now, I don't know if you know that Don works for Youth for Christ and has for many years, and Don oversees some critical strategic areas for them nationally several cities several initiatives and Don and Chrissy with their talents and their abilities pour into the people around them and their jobs just like you do every day but what is unique about Don is Don and Christy together, they have decided that their love and their desire to see students come to know Jesus better won't just exist from a, an office building or in meetings where you get to tell people what to do and they actually do them. Um, because, you know, you're their boss and that's how it works. But Don works with students here in this place. And so on any given Wednesday night, many other times as well, quite a few Sundays, you'll find the tallies here. Uh, chasing kids around the the lobby area, the mezzanine or all the way up to the next floor they'll be having conversations about issues that students face every day it's not just about the philosophy or the uh, strategic nature of working with students, Don and Chrissy do it every day and in her day job Chrissy takes care of probably a little bit easier crew babies and toddlers um, (laughs) in her own home and so Chrissy finishes that work during the day, and then will come here and, uh, and take care of our students and our families. And so they have done this work over the last several years, uh, completely volunteer on a weekend, week out basis. And uh, they would do so um, just out of the goodness of their heart and their desire and the call of God on their life regardless of what a wonderful family you are, but today we wanted to bring you before us uh, to give honor to whom honor is due and to thank you, to thank you for what you've done and for the investment. And The scripture that came to mind as I was thinking about the tallies was Philippians chapter 1. We've edited it to make it a little more plural, but every time we think of you, we give thanks to our God. And whenever we pray, we make requests for all of you with joy, all four of you tallies. For you have been our partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. We're very grateful for the way that you love and for the way that you live. And God's called you to some places of importance and prominence in the lives of many, but that you would take the time and energy to invest in us as a church family and in the students, some are here today, and many have gone on to do other things, but the way that you have given your life and love, ministry to Jesus, to these kids, will change eternity forever and continues to do so. And so when we hired Mike, we made the Tallies promise in the middle of a congregational meeting that they would continue to work and serve and volunteer. And so while they passed the baton to Mike, um, with whom they've been good friends for a good long time about 30 years. Um, We're grateful that they're still going to be around, but we could not let this moment pass without saying thank you. And so we're very, very grateful. So we have some things for them. My my friend Cindy is um, doing delivery duty today. We're going to honor them in a few different ways. We have some flowers for Chrissy. They're beautiful. Don Don gets the flowers. (laughs) He tried to grab them in first service. And what Chrissy has in her hands is our, our breakfast burritos, and he wants to trade now. <laughs> you just want what you don't have, Don. That's just the way you are. And then Chrissy is holding a, a card of, of thanks from us and a check. And uh, many of you received the email and have contributed, and so the check that we're giving today is, is a, a very small token of monetary love and appreciation, and we hope you do something fun and frivolous with it, like maybe go to Hawaii. That's where that picture is, they're in Hawaii. And so uh, we're, we're grateful to count you as friends and co-partners in the gospel. And so would you do me a favor, let's just give God thanks right now as a church family. Yeah. Let's pray together. Lord, we're grateful for the tallies and for the way that you have given us the opportunity to know them and to experience their ministry. And we pray that you would pour out your very best blessings on them. You would continue to walk with them, guide them. Lord, as they seek to be an influence for your kingdom, we pray that you would give them all that they need. We pray for the girls. We pray for their extended family, some who are here today. And we are grateful that we can celebrate selflessness and service and call it our highest value and humility as we desire to build your kingdom in these unique ways. So Lord, continue to bless our student ministry, bless the partnership that the tallies have with Mike, and we pray that you would continue to grow all of our students, disciples who follow you every day. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. We all say together, amen. amen. Thank you one more time, would you, as they wheel away. <laughs> Love you. So about a year ago, uh, Don and Chrissy said, you know, we're bringing this chair to church every week. Could we just, we have an extra one, could we just keep it here? And we, I said, yeah, yeah, let's just keep it in my office. And so his chair that he's in right now stays in my office. And uh, what Don didn 't know until a few weeks ago is that I' drive it around all week. <laughs> and it's not that easy to drive. He makes it look so easy. I've taken out a couple walls that we've had repaired, so Not out of the church offering. I just did that. so <clears throat> So I'm grateful for Donna and Chrissy, And I think they're an example of the very thing that we're going to talk about today and the one verse that we'll hit on today. And I'll tell you a little bit about this series and why it matters and what we're trying to do. And if, uh, if this thought uh, hits the graduates uh, in terms of a bullseye, then that's just extra as well because I think it's applicable and important for us to consider. A couple of years ago, I guess it was a few years ago now, Donna and I were over in Arches National Park How many of you have been to Arches? You've been to, are you seeing some of the Arches? It's beautiful. It's one of our favorite places. Uh, We love the desert and the dryness of it and the heat of it. And there's a hike there that we had heard about that we'd never done. It's, It's through a place called the Fiery Furnace there in Arches. And you have to have a permit. And usually when we've been there before, we've had our boys with us. So we've not been sure about doing this kind of hike. It's a pretty involved and intricate hike. There's an area, if you see it from above, it looks absolutely incredible, of fins that are very closely situated together in in arches. This area called the fiery furnace is like probably the best thing to compare it to is a corn maze, except it doesn't involve corn, it involves rocks. And so it's not very forgiving. You can't find your way or part the corn and find a new path to walk. There are rocks everywhere, and these fins create a path for you, and some time ago a hiker found a path and marked the path and then the national park service came in and made the path a little more obvious and visible for people like me and you to hike it so we got our permit and we decided we we're going to hike it on a given day and it was a hot day and it's a little bit risky if you if you get lost in a in the maze of these fins you can find yourself Well, this is why you have to have a permit. They need to know at 6, 7 o'clock at night whether or not they should send the park ranger after you Uh, because you don't want to spend the night in the desert, and odds are if it's that late, you're water depleted. They did create this path with little, tiny... I'm going to show you with my hand how big they are... arrows that are about this big that are about the color of the rock. Well, they didn't want to deface the beauty of the place... And they want you to know that it's a risky hike to take. And if you make a wrong turn, you can find yourself going up into a dead end area and then having to backtrack. If you can't find the arrows or you find an arrow that isn't a part of the the leg of the hike that you're on, you will end up lost. There was a man in front of us that was on the hike. And so we tried to pay close attention to whether or not he knew where he was or not. And we looked for our arrows, and at least two or three times we thought, we are not on the right path. There's no way. And so we would backtrack. A little bit nerve wracking, but eventually we found our way and made a new friend with this gentleman. We even got a picture, the three of us together, once we came out of the fiery furnace. They call it that because of the heat and because it's a little bit difficult to escape once you're inside. I don't know if you've ever felt this way in your life where you would just love it if you could come upon a moment in your life, whether it's uh, the complexity of a relationship, maybe a job change, or maybe you're not sure about whether to go right or left or go forward or stop or rest a while or press on harder down the same path that you're on. You would love it if somebody would just put a little arrow on a rock in front of you and you would know this is where I'm supposed to be. When we have this series this summer, we recognize that a lot of you are going to be in and out of church, that you're going to have vacations, and maybe you'll listen online while you're gone. It's the beauty of the online audience that you get to listen, whether you're here or somewhere else across the country, or you can hop on and watch it later. But our hope is that this summer, we can use one verse at a time to reorient ourselves toward what matters most, maybe even sift our values a little bit maybe recalibrate our compass. We used the illustration last week of a pilot who knows that he's flying into a cloud bank and he recognizes that his inner ear is about to play tricks on him and he better pay very close attention to his instrument panel because if not, he can steer himself directly into the side of a mountain or maybe even inexplicably navigating the plane into the ground, believing that he is headed the right direction, but finds himself in trouble. The verses that we'll pick out stand above many pieces of scripture that will be a true north for us and guide us. Last week's verse that we shared at the park was Romans 12, 16. You might not think of it as a true north verse, but when the Scriptures tell us to love one another. For us, love is, can be a squishy subject. Like, I, I think this is love. I'm not sure how do I express it, How do I show it?" But Romans 12:16 says, "Live in harmony with one another. Do not be too proud, but be willing to hang out with people that are less than you, or you perceive to be very common or ordinary people. Humility and love and kindness. Harmony with one another, that takes love and it puts handles on it. In fact, it says that if you can't be of the same mind with people who think very differently than you, then it probably isn't love that you're engaged in. That's practical. And our hope is that you'll take a verse like that and it will be a verse that will guide you when you're up against it in a relationship and you think, I don't know how to behave, I'm not sure what to do. You know what I feel like doing is, and you express your anger, your frustration, or your unforgiveness, or your bitterness, and yet God places this verse deep in your heart. And so some in our church have decided they'll kind of push these around their, their mirror or near someplace that they see often. This one actually came from Cindy's desk in the, in the office I stole hers because we were out. We'll print some more for you next week if you missed at the park so you can commit them to memory and decide that they will reorient us. It feels like we're coming out of the fog and maybe in the middle of difficulty or relational strain, we've lost our way or maybe our values have been shifted or maybe our people skills are lacking. Regardless, maybe God can use these verses through the summer to reorient us, recalibrate. Remind us what True North is. This week's verse is like that, but it's different than this. This is practical. This is gritty. This is in your face. Matthew six thirty three. Jesus takes a moment during the Sermon on the Mount, the only full sermon we have of Jesus's, and he rises above the details of the sermon, and he gives you an overarching principle for the direction and the purpose of your life. It's a verse I don't think we understand well. It's something that would guide you if you understand the details and the texture of it. Here's what he says, Matthew six thirty three. In fact, let's read it together, all of us, okay? We'll start now. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Try it again. That was good, but I think you can do it better. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So there's a little danger in pulling out one verse of Scripture, isn't there? You can make it say almost anything you want. You can pull it out of context. You can decide this is what it means, and maybe God wasn't saying that to those people at all, or maybe it was a very unique set of people. And so even though we're focused on one verse every week, we want to build the context. So you can understand it understand what's happening in the flow of this. It's right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mountain. Jesus has just talked about, some of you are worried about your future. You're worried about how God will provide for you. Do you have enough to drink? Do you have enough to eat? What will you wear today? What will you wear tomorrow? Some of you just came from your closet where you stood in front of racks and racks of clothes and you couldn't decide what to wear. And Jesus, in the middle of all of these daily pressing concerns, takes a moment. He's just talked about it. He's built a whole theology and practical idea around it to rise above all of that and says, but listen, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't worry about all those things I just mentioned. If you're like me and you grew up in the church, this isn't an unfamiliar verse to you. You've heard it before. And if you have heard it before, Then even the the syntax or the the flow of this phrase, but seek first his kingdom. Maybe you sang a song that had this in the lyrics. This idea of seeking first his kingdom. Well, if you're religious or spiritual in nature, have some church background, it sounds like a good idea. But if we were to pin it down and say, but what does it mean to do that? Most of us would struggle with that idea. Well, I, I think it means that God's really important in your life, we would say. Or I think it means that you don't, aren't concerned about other worldly things. And I'm not even sure what that means. But we would use some sort of church speak to describe what we think Jesus meant by seeking first his kingdom. And what that means is, is we can talk about it in this room and have no idea what to do with it on Monday at work or Tuesday with our neighbors or Wednesday with our kids. And the result would be that what Jesus says from a 30,000-foot level doesn't really take root in the depths of our hearts. I can't imagine a more pointed comment or statement or idea or value that Jesus would have said than this one. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So part of it's the language. We don't talk about kingdom much. I don't talk about it much in my life or in my daily life. Conversations. We don't use this kind of terminology to describe what is and what isn't. And so let's get our head around a little bit of what Jesus means and we'll use the Gospels to do that. So when John the Baptist came on the scene before Jesus, his statement, his message, he was the forerunner, the one who would come before Jesus. He would prepare the way for Jesus. His statement was this. Let's say it together. The kingdom of God is what? It's at hand. Or some translation would say, the kingdom of God is here. This is what John the Baptist wants everyone to know. Before Jesus comes on the scene, the kingdom of God is here. Well, this would be important language for the Jews because they were a part of a kingdom that was not the kingdom of God. It was the kingdom of what? Rome. That's right, Rome. And Rome controlled. Caesar was the ruler. Their laws weren't the kingdom of God. Their laws were Rome's laws And when the Jewish men and women heard that the kingdom of God is here, it would have meant liberation. It would have meant that oppression is gone. And they could not wait to see the kingdom of God take the place of their current political circumstances. And yet, when John says this, the kingdom of God is here, Rome was still in charge, their laws hadn't changed. What had changed? What was different? The Gospels indicate that in the middle of what would have been the same, the same as a month ago, the same as 10 years ago, as the Roman kingdom continued to grow in power and expand, that something spiritual happened when Jesus came, something unique. And it changed everything. But it didn't change everything for everybody Only for those who had eyes to see and ears to hear. John says, The kingdom of God is at hand. And what was true then is true today. And it's true here and it's true now. Jesus had a few conversations with people about what all this meant. Jesus would do this by saying to somebody, "Uh, what do you think it means to know and love God? Occasionally, somebody would ask Jesus that same question, and then a little debate would ensue. This is how rabbis would operate. Someone would throw up an idea, and then the rabbis nearby would smack it like a pinata, and they would argue about it. My professor, rabbi, professor, Jewish professor that I had when I was in school, getting my master's, he would say, if you have two rabbis in a room, you have three opinions. And so... This was his way of saying rabbis love to argue. And so Jesus stepped into that culture and they would argue about the most important issues, religiously speaking, that existed for all of the Jews. And so Jesus would say, what do you think is the most important commandment? And this didn't happen just once, it happened several times. And usually the answer would come from an expert in the law, the Old Testament law, a Pharisee, and he would say, Well, the most important commandment is, and you know what he would say, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then somebody answered very thoughtfully on a given day, but the second most important commandment is a lot like it, and it is love your neighbor as yourself. There was a time when somebody nearby, expert in the law, gave the same answer that Jesus gave at another time. And Jesus looked at this man and said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. That's close, isn't it? That's what not far means. And when he says this, everyone kind of hushed, understood what Jesus had said, and then it says in the scriptures that no one dared ask them another question after that. They just wanted to sit in that moment. It's like when the teacher says, you got it right? This is what they wanted, just to sit in this moment. So if the kingdom of God is here and, when somebody talks about what it means to love God and love other people, Jesus says you are not far from the kingdom of God. Then we know something about love is expressed when Jesus says that you and I are to seek first the kingdom, that, that love or how we treat one another is central to what it means to seek the kingdom. And when we seek the kingdom in this way, now we're beginning to put handles on this vague, spiritual, even religious-sounding statement that Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus was chatting with another Pharisee at, at one point in time, and when he was chatting with him and he's having this discussion with these Pharisees, the Pharisees were asking Jesus the question, When will the kingdom of God arrive? Well, they had missed John the Baptist's message, and they missed much of what Jesus had to say about the kingdom. And so Jesus just looked at them and said, The kingdom of God is what? It's already here. It's among you. Some translations say the kingdom of God is within you. It's terribly difficult to translate the phrase. But what Jesus was saying is, If you have eyes to see and ears to hear, if you have any awareness, the kingdom of God is present, it's here. And yet it seems to be this way for some and not for others. Some people live their lives with a specific kind of compass, a a true north that directs them towards gaining or accumulating. And that gaining or accumulating could be power, it could be wealth, it could be influence, it could be friends, it could be joy, it could be... Any of the things that provide us some sense of meaning or pleasure about our lives. But Jesus says, but seek first. There's so many good gifts that God can give you. Things that you can receive and enjoy and eat and experience and take in. But seek first his kingdom. What would that mean? What would it look like if you did that on Tuesday this week? Well, there are a couple experiences from the Gospels that help us grasp this. But the truth is, almost every page of the Gospel, Jesus talks about the kingdom. He tells parable after parable. He interacts with people. He gives them advice. He guides them toward a path of life. He makes life hard on others. He seems to set other people free. In fact, you can't open up the pages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John without grasping something about the kingdom of God. Jesus talks about it over and over and over again. But there are two moments that I'll point you to that will help. Maybe if you take Mac, Matthew 6.33 and just begin to put it deep in your heart into the soil that God has provided there, it could be that you will begin to see the world differently. You'll begin to see your job differently. You'll begin to see some of your relationships differently. It could be that your values will begin to shift and you'll prioritize different things. It doesn't mean you won't be productive or successful or pursue whatever it is you're pursuing now, but it could be that God will begin to reorder your heart. And when you fly into the depth of a cloud bank, for example, during a pandemic or some difficulty in your life, you'll have this true north that will guide your path. So when Jesus began his ministry, early on, he walks into his hometown of Nazareth on the Sabbath, and walks into the synagogue. He takes his seat like everyone else, and it comes time to read Scripture. And Jesus, good hometown boy, he's done well for himself. He's home now. They're welcoming him back. He stands up because he's going to read Scripture now, just like any of you might do if you were to go to your home church, welcomed, maybe invited to do something like that. Jesus begins to read Scripture. He walks over to the scrolls that are present in the room and opens the Isaiah scroll. And when he does, he begins to read these verses. "The spirit of the Lord is on me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the who? To the poor." Now just pause for just a second. Jesus could have read anything Any from the, anything from the prophets, the Torah, the Old Testament. And he picks these verses: "Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the the prisoners and recovery of sight for the, who? The blind. And to set the, who? The oppressed free. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls up the scroll, puts it back, and then he has a seat. And he says, today... The kingdom of God is at hand. He said it differently in church that day. What he said was, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, this is happening now. And yet there were people there who were poor that didn't feel anything but poor There were people there who were oppressed that didn't feel free. There were people there probably that had all kinds of spiritual blindness that didn't even understand what he was saying. In fact, Jesus goes on to explain the power of the gospel and the religious people in the room got so mad they tried to drag him out to the edge of town and kill him before his ministry even began. If you grasp the enormity of that moment and understand that it was a group of religious people that tried to stop The power of the gospel, then the fact that you're even sitting in a church ought to send a shiver through you. For some reason, religion has always stood opposed to the gospel and the power of the gospel. Look who Jesus is coming for. He's coming to give good news to the poor, he's freeing prisoners, he's giving sight to the blind, and he's giving freedom to the oppressed. And he is talking about the Lord's judgment. No. The Lord's indictment. No. The Lord's holy and righteous expectations. No. He's talking about the Lord's what? The Lord's favor. His mercy and His grace and His love. When this happens at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is saying this is what the kingdom looks like. This is what it looks like when people participate in the kingdom. And so, regardless of your day job, regardless of your profession or how you earn the money that pays your bills and provides for your food, regardless of whether you stay home and keep all the trains running at home on time or whoever you take care of, whether you find yourself to be idea-driven in your profession or task-driven in your roles, God has called you to seek the kingdom first. And what that would mean or what that would look like is a lot of what Jesus described from the prophet Isaiah. That you would bring what is needed for the poor and freedom for the prisoners and sight for the blind and free the oppressed. That you would proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, his grace and his mercy. Yesterday, this building was filled with all kinds of stuff that was being sold as a part of our food bank. It looked like a complete disaster throughout the entire church, it was beautiful because many of you brought stuff to be sold that you donated, and these things were sold, and some of the uh, minuscule proceeds will be funneled right back into the project of the food bank, Scott and his team developing that. Every Saturday when we have the food bank and people come, food is being given to the hungry. Food that would normally be thrown out from King Supers or some other establishment in town is now being used to provide nourishment for somebody. When we engage in activities like that, when we as a church develop a deep partnership with people who are trying to find economic development in very impoverished places in the world, when we work with a local population that is invisible, otherwise ignored, and just set aside through our partnership with Wellspring, the hope and the goal is that we would engage in business activity and ministry that would bring about all of these things. The kingdom of God is here. When you come across a friend at work who's gone through the most unbelievable tragedy and you take a moment to listen and to stop and to believe in that moment that God is present in your conversation, that God sees them and you see them, They experience something of the kingdom of God. That's what it means to seek God's kingdom. When you are able to represent the freedom of following Jesus instead of the bondage that some people would say is following Jesus, then you're able to point to a place where people can experience the very words that Isaiah prophesied thousands of years ago. And examples of this are all through the Gospels. Here's one of them. Jesus was invited to the house of a Pharisee for dinner. His name was Simon, and Jesus went. In fact, the scriptures say there in Luke that Jesus sat down, reclined at his table to have dinner with them. That's a little statement that says they're getting ready to eat. That's what it means to me and to you. You invite me to your house, and I will come for dinner because I'm a glutton. That's what I do, I eat. And when I eat, I just, I want to eat. This is the food. When Jesus reclined at the table, the home of Simon the Pharisee, it wasn't because he was hungry. In fact, every Jewish man and woman that reads that phrase in the Gospels, they would know that what Jesus is saying to this man who is a religious leader is, I take you as mine, and you take me as yours. We are together. It's what the Jewish community would call table fellowship, and it means we are of the same family. And so he does this with this man, who is a Pharisee, and probably diametrically opposed to the essence of the gospel. But Jesus says, "We're together in this." So he sits down to eat, and I imagine that this happened probably in his home, but probably sort of an outside eating area, because a woman who knew Jesus was in town came by and interrupted the dinner. In fact, the scriptures say that this woman was a resident of the town who lived a very sinful life. Now, whatever sin you want to ascribe to somebody like that, you could. It could be a sin that you've engaged in or still engage in or can't break the habit of. It could be a sin that you know is something that you believe God is holding against you that carries guilt and shame with it. It could be any number of things, but this woman shows up and is a sinful woman. And when she shows up, She is there for Jesus and Jesus alone. She weeps. She pours oil on him. She anoints his feet. Her tears cover his feet. Simon, the Pharisee, who's who's got Jesus as a guest, he has a thought. And with one thought, he manages to judge Jesus and the woman in one thought. Some of us are good at that. We can judge entire populations with one thought. We can judge our neighbor, top to bottom, in one thought. And Simon does it. Here's what he thinks. If this man were a prophet, then he would know what kind of woman is touching him. One thought, he condemns them both. Jesus has this uncanny ability to know exactly what Simon is thinking. It's a little scary, isn't it? And he says to Simon, Simon, I have something to tell you. He tells him a story. There was a man who loaned two sums of money to two different people. One was a big pile of money and one was a little sum. The lender forgave both amounts, forgave both debts. Simon, which one do you think loved the lender the most? And Simon says, well, I imagine it was the one who was forgiven the most money. And Jesus says, you have judged correctly. And then he says to Simon this, Simon, from the moment I came into your house, you didn't give me something to drink, you didn't take care of me, you didn't tend to my needs, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't treat me as an honored guest in your home. But from the moment she walked up, this woman has expressed her devotion to me. Through her tears and the oil, she has anointed me and she has treated me with humility and love. And then he says this I tell you, her sins, and they are many. Same thing he would say to me, same thing he would say about you. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. This is the essence of seeking the kingdom. How is it that Jesus could show up in a place, and a religious person who is pompous and probably opposed to the very values of the gospel, Jesus welcomes them in with open arms? Is that the people that are hard for you to love? Seek the kingdom and love those people. And in that moment, a woman shows up full of sin, full of degradation, full of shame, and expresses her devotion to Jesus. Are those the people that are hard for you to love? Seek the kingdom and love those people. In fact, show me the people that are hard for you to love, and I'll show you the very place where God wants you to seek the kingdom of God. This week, your path will cross with somebody who needs freedom, but they're in bondage, who is poor, but you have the riches that could help set them free. This week, your life, regardless of what you have structured it around, is about the essence of what it means to seek the kingdom. Your profession, God just has given you that so that you can use it for his purposes, Your expertise, it's incredible what you can do. Your ability to manage or to lead or to serve, whatever it is that you do, God is using it, but he's only doing it for the purpose of you being able to seek the kingdom of God and that you would use your talents, your abilities, your relationships to allow people to experience the freedom that they never have before. Let me guide you through a prayer and uh, then we'll sing about this to, to seal it up in our hearts bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, we ask in this moment that we would sense your presence. We pray that this passage of Scripture, Matthew six thirty-three, this one verse would be buried so deeply in our hearts that it would shape and frame and guide and be a compass for us. Lord, this week we will be tempted to seek many things, significance, importance, ego, friendship, pleasure, Lord, there will be many things that we will be tempted to seek. But Jesus has made a promise in this verse. Lord, your son has made a promise to us that if we seek first the kingdom, we'll we'll get all this other stuff, these second things, they'll get thrown into. And so, Lord, this week you will take our path, in unique places for every one of us listening online and in this room. And that path will guide us. It'll take us to places where we didn't know we were to go, into conversations that we didn't know we were going to have. And we pray in those moments we would represent the freedom that Jesus spoke about as he quotes the prophet Isaiah. that we will, in some unique way, be able to bestow riches on those who are poor among us. That those who feel sidelined or unseen, ignored and invisible, that they would be seen by us the way they are seen by you. Lord, who will you bring into our life this week It's made in your image that needs to experience your immeasurable love. So Lord, we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear. We believe that you can build your kingdom through simple acts of kindness and grace and mercy. But may we receive that love first that we may give it freely. Your gifts for your people. And Lord, may you build our lives in these ways. So we pray that these verses, we will commit them to not just memory, but maybe memory first, but then practice. The actual living out of our lives. That your kingdom may grow one simple act at a time. Would you build our lives in this way, Lord? Lord, we ask for this. We need it. We depend on it for life. Humbly we We implore you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.